In today's Blue Bay Insights, we welcome back David Wiley, Chief Investment Strategist. Welcome, David. Hello, Alex. Last week, we finished by talking about the key developments to watch, including data on the economy. What are the early signs in the economic data on the depth of the global recession? I do think that the worst for the economy is not really going to start showing through until um, April and then through the remainder of the second quarter. The, the economic data that we have had so far has been ugly, though. The March Eurozone and UK purchasing managers indices, so the PMIs, were grim. Output, new orders, uh, purchasing, they all fell very sharply. Evidence that jobs are being cut, confidence about the future uh, sinking to new lows. Interestingly, there was a marked increase as well in input delivery times. Now, typically, that's taken as a positive sign of strong demand. But in this crisis, I think it underscores the severity of the supply side shock to the economy that's arising from the virus uh, lockdowns. On the positive side, uh, we did see a sharp rebound in the PMIs for China. So that does indicate that the Chinese economy is recovering. We we think China is about 80% or so back to the levels one would have expected um, before the uh, virus outbreak. It it is a guessing at how big the decline in output will be, but economic contractions in the second quarter will, I think, be the most severe since the Second World War. So the bigger question is, is when the lockdowns will end and how strong will the recovery then be? I mean, I think if the unprecedented monetary and, and fiscal packages that we uh, you know, discussed last week, Alex, if, if they are successful in minimising the permanent economic damage, then, then the rebound in the second half could offset much of the losses uh, from, from the first half. You mentioned the uncertainty as to when the lockdowns in Europe and the US will come to an end. What are your current expectations as to when lockdowns will end and economies can get back to work? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the question everyone is asking and the one that is extremely difficult to answer. You know, I looked at the latest link from Imperial College, uh, which has been advising the UK and other governments in, in terms of the uh, virus. And that modelling shows that the lockdowns are working to reduce the infection rate. The Imperial College paper, though, also just highlight just what the margin of error is around these estimates in terms of the spread of the infection and its future path. It does appear that the spread of the virus has peaked in Italy, the the first large developed economy to be struck by it. The absolute number of new cases is starting to fall. The percent rate of increase has dropped below 5%, and, and thankfully the fatality rate is also falling. The Italian government has said that it may relax the lockdown from April 13. The the rest of Europe is, you know, one to two weeks behind Italy, and I think the US is even further behind. So I think my best guess is that lockdowns will be eased, you know, sometime in early May. I think it could be later than that in the United uh, States. I think it's also important to recognise that 
even as lockdowns are eased, I don't think that necessarily means a quick return to normality. And, you know, it's also going to depend on how quickly um, health services can increase their capacity to treat victims of the pandemic and progress that's made in terms of testing and in the medical treatments that are available. So I, I do think that there remains a lot of uncertainty from the experts in terms of when the lockdowns will be relaxed and the economy can get back to work. At the moment, I think the sort of best case scenario is that's going to be starting sometime in early May. But I think it could quite easily be later than that as well. You've just published some research on investment-grade credit. What are the key takeaways? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think the investment-grade credit market has been really interesting. Uh, it's obviously been very painful, unfortunately, for um, in, investors. But I, but I think it's been interesting because I think it's been harder hit by that sort of dash for cash, that premium on, on liquidity, than higher-yielding credit, precisely because I think it is more liquid. And, and so I do think that's created some opportunities our analysis uh, that we've just published showed that historically, and, and this time could, of course, be different, it is different in quite a lot of ways, but historically, at current spread levels, investment returns have always been positive over a three-year horizon for US investment-grade credit and 90% of the time for European investment-grade rated credit. I think it's also important to acknowledge that most realized credit losses in a benchmarked investment grade portfolio come from selling bonds that drop out of the index when the rating agencies downgrade them into high yield. So this is the you know so-called fallen angels. And it's fallen angels and, and, and realizing those losses rather than defaults that I think is the sort of principal risk for investment grade investors. And, and there's going to be a lot of fallen angels. We've had something like, you know, $130, $140 billion worth of US dollar investment grade credit that's been downgraded into high yield so far this year. And, and we reckon there's, you know, potentially another, you know, $200 billion or more to, to, to come. In, in, in Europe, I think the volume of fallen angel debt is going to be less. It's, it's going to be we think somewhere between 50 to 100 billion euros. And, and I do also think that fallen angel risk is, you know, quite well priced. Um, if you look at the price of bonds issued by companies or sectors such as the energy sector, which is most at risk of downgrades into high yield, they're, they're already trading and being priced at high yield levels. Of course, I, I don't want to completely discount um, default risk that, is obviously always important for credit investors. But the risk of investment grade companies jumping to default, you know, remains low. I mean, even during the global financial crisis, it was around about one and a half percent of investment grade rated corporate bonds um, defaulted. Nearly all investment grade companies that jump to default do so because of accounting frauds and you know, we've had those in the past, or because of illiquidity. And we discussed this in some detail in, in last week's podcast, Alex, but, you know, with the fiscal support packages, with the central banks, 
I think that liquidity risk is is pretty low for investment grade companies. And and I do actually think that um, you know it makes sense from an investor perspective to stay quite close to central banks and and with the Fed as well as the European Central Bank buying billions of dollars and euros of of investment grade bonds. I mean, I think that is is an important backstop. So when I look at valuations, when I look at fundamentals, when I look at what central banks and and fiscal authorities are doing, I do think that the risk reward profile for investment grade credit is skewed favorably for investors. That does mean, of course, they still need to be selective. They still need to do their credit homework. But I do think there's there's an opportunity there. You've talked a lot about companies, but what about banks? Yeah, well, I mean, Alex, we I mean, we talked last week that you know banks were part of the solution to the economic crisis rather than the problem, and and that they're much better capitalized, much less leveraged than when they went into the global financial crisis. I have to say that's offering pretty little comfort to uh, shareholders, especially of European banks. European bank regulators, including the UK, have also told banks to suspend dividend payments. But the same regulators have also been very clear that that doesn't extend to coupons on bank subordinated debt, such as the additional tier one or contingent convertible cocoa bonds. So I, I really don't think that we are facing a banking crisis. I mean, banks are the channel for providing support to the real economy. And, and the authorities want banks to retain access to capital markets. So I do think bank debt, uh, senior and subordinated, is offering yields that fully compensate investors for the risks that they face. In the case of subordinated debt, such as uh, COCOs, that also includes the likelihood that a number of the calls or when bonds can be optionally redeemed by the banks will actually be passed and and, and extended because it's it's cheaper for banks to do so rather than issue replacement bonds. But I do think that uh, bank debt is is, uh, attractive uh, in, in the current environment. Last question, David. Last week, you said we were past the shock and panic stage of the market sell-off. Are we at the beginning of the end of the sell-off? Yeah, so I'm I'm still wary of making that call. I mean, I I do think recession is priced into growth-sensitive risk assets. I do think most investors are expecting dreadful economic data over the coming months. But I still think there's a lot of investors who are counting on a sharp v-shaped rebound in the second half of the year now you know as we discussed uh, that may happen but i think we also need to acknowledge that even after the lockdowns are relaxed that's not going to be a quick return to normality and we can't you know wholly discount that we have a second wave of the virus so you know we still have this uncertainty around when the lockdowns will be relaxed. And and I think with these uncertainties, it's just too early to say with a high level of conviction that we've seen the lows in equity and other risk assets. That being said, I, I do think there are now opportunities for investors you know, with capital to deploy and with time on their side to ride out the volatility. But in the near term, at least in my opinion, I still think it warrants to be cautious, a bias towards quality and be selective in terms of the uh, 
risk that you add to your portfolio. Thank you, David. I look forward to talking with you in a couple of weeks. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.